This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I took some Athletic Greens this morning. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. This is how I woke up today, and this is how I start most mornings. I get out of bed, I turn on a podcast to listen to, and the first thing I do is I throw a scoop of Athletic Greens in a water bottle that I keep in my fridge overnight so it's nice and cold. I shake it up and sip on that while I'm making my coffee and getting ready for my day. It's super refreshing. I love the flavor. There's some pear and apple extract in there along with a little stevia to make it delicious but not too sweet. I really enjoy it. I look forward to it almost as much as my first cup of coffee, which is saying a lot for me. Why do I take Athletic Greens aside from it being delicious? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and really gives you all of the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition, but it's hard to eat perfectly all the time. I live in a van, I travel all the time. Some of the places I like to climb are out in the middle of nowhere, and it's really hard to get good produce. I'm sure all of you can relate to that when you're going on climbing trips. And the thing I love about Athletic Greens is if I take my one scoop in the morning, I know I'm covered. If you want to try it out and see what all the fuss is about, Athletic Greens is giving you, my dear listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt, and my guest today is Charlie Schreiber. I've been wanting to have Charlie on the show for quite some time, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I think this was a really good one. Charlie hails from the East Coast here in the United States. He is a world-class climbing coach and a very high-level climber himself. He's done over 100 double-digit boulders, and he's competed at national championships and World Cups. And he's also the coach of Austin Hoyt, who has been on the podcast, and that is how I first learned about Charlie. And Charlie just has an amazing track record as a coach. He's coached a number of day one athletes, literally the first time they've ever put on climbing shoes, all the way up to national champions, 514D, 9A sport climbers, and V15 or 8C boulderers. So he is very good at what he does. He had a lot of great analogies and nuggets in this conversation, and we had some fun along the way as well please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Charlie Schreiber. What's up, dude? Charlie, what's up, man? Oh, this is the setup? Sick. This is my setup? Oh, yeah, this is my van. You haven't seen my van, of course. I always give the little uh, little two-second tour here. I've got a, uh, this is actually from one of my listeners. I don't know if you can see what that is, but uh, my friend Mel, who's a listener to the podcast, painted this beautiful monkey face painting, Smith Rock. So that's on my oh, wall. Oh, that's okay. I was like, that doesn't look like a monkey, really. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I forget. Um, yeah, I lived at Smith Rock for a long time. People from the Northeast don't know what monkey face is. But yeah, um, 
Just Do It for long. I've talked about that on the podcast, but Just Do It's a dream route of mine. And she painted the feature that has Just Do It going up the center. Beautiful watercolor. So I get to see that every day. That's yeah. awesome. That's that's pretty clutch for the van. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty nice to have some art in the van. Yeah, it definitely gives it a little more uh, homey, hominess. Yeah. Hominess is a word, right? Oh, yeah. It's also like when a friend is like really being a homie, you can be like, oh, dude, great hominess. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. I like that. Where are you? Well, I'm in my apartment. I'm in my bedroom. I have uh, nothing really noteworthy in here. Just a stack of books. Uh, Do you have anything on your walls? You have a white wall and a white door behind you. That's all I can see. It's very... Uh... Oh, yeah. No, this it's super barren here. I've got <laughs> all the art and everything's out there. Okay. And that we have like two rooms in this apartment. It's very small. Yeah. <laughs> but I I am an artist, so I, I decked it out in art. Oh, you are? Okay. I didn't know that about you. What what do you uh do you paint? Do you draw? What do you do? I I'm a sketch artist. Okay. So I I'd say like 95% pen on paper. Nice. Sketchbook stuff. What uh what are your what are some of your favorite pieces that you have hanging hanging in your own apartment what's made the oh, cut man. you want to see them i'd love to see them sure yeah if that's convenient okay let's go on a tour for people that are listening to the podcast they're gonna be like oh my gosh we're getting a, a an auditory tour of charlie's apartment but for you guys that can see it on patreon style okay just real this is i mean this like i just hang up a few things yeah she, she doesn't let me hang up too much she wants more stuff like my favorite piece that I bought when I was on uh, in San Diego for one of the national cups. What is, like. what, can you zoom in on that? What is that? Oh, for is sure, that a dude. dancing sparkly pig? No, this is, a, is a, a golden retriever. Oh, shaking water off. Okay. I, I was yeah. zoom, it's, uh, zoom video quality. Scott finger painting. Oh, that's actually so cool. I love that. Oh, it's sick. And wow. it's like artist proof. So she like took like just a, Basically a copy and then added her own little customized finger paint. We got stuff all, all over, like just little things from the trip. When we went on that massive honeymoon, Yeah, I made it a point. Every time I go on a trip anywhere, I get art. Oh, that's a great, that's a great rule of life to yeah. follow. I like that. I might steal that too. Yeah, it helps you remember. <laughs> Gives a, it's a cool element of the trip too. Like, where am I going to get this next little piece from? It's almost always some artist on the street mm. and then you get talking to them and find out about their, um, it's always a wild story, how they got into it and what they do. It's, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Make some cool memories. And where are you talking to me from in the world? You're on, you're on the East coast. I know you're in the Northeast somewhere. Where are, where are you based? I forget. I'm in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yep. Middle of nowhere. Is really. it? Okay. Well, <laughs> It's uh, I, I'm from North Jersey and uh, I was working at a gym up north and then a gym opened up in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, Reach, uh, like the nicest gym in the country. And I I had to make the shift. It was the right thing for my career. And my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, was living at home. I was living at home and we were an hour and 15 apart. So it just we had been dating for like six years. It only made sense to move in together. And Langhorn is the midpoint between my job and her job. She okay. works in East Brunswick. She's an accountant. Okay. So 
So there you are. Nice. Yeah. And you still working Likewise. at that gym? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm going into work later. Okay. Well, it's great to meet you, man. We've been, uh, we've, this has been in the works for probably over a year. I think you first came up when I talked to Austin Hoyt for people that haven't heard that episode. Great episode. Austin's a, a young crusher from the Northeast who's been on a tear recently. I actually just uh, messaged him this morning and it sounds like he's out in Bishop just killing it and uh, trying lucid dreaming. So we're rooting for you, Austin. Good luck out there. He's um, going to do it. He's going to do it. You've been talking to him about it. I've been yeah, I've been talking to him about it, and uh, he's gonna put in two more days. He's it looks like he's done all but that one move, and the one move he hasn't done is the most his style move. I think it's just high up, and he he probably doesn't have a ladder to try it. Okay, snap the right hand throw to the crimp off the pinch. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. Well, yeah, yeah, we're we're rooting for him. That was episode ninety seven, I think, with Austin, and he talked about Charlie and. And yeah, I think you and I got connected shortly after that episode came out. And then I don't know, one thing happened, one thing led to another. Sometimes I let a, a podcast guest get away from me. So we've been talking about doing this for like a year. So it's uh, it's great to finally meet you. And thanks for being here. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. You know, I, I listen to every episode you have. And uh, it's it's always funny when you're like hearing somebody's voice. And then I, I actually just saw you for the first time when you were posting videos of you climbing. Okay. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. 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 So you didn't know what I looked like at all before that? No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> what you, did you, you look totally <laughs> differently from what I imagined? Yeah, totally. I know. I, I think that's a fascinating thing. I'm sure I do that too. When I listen to podcasts, then finally see the host or the guest, whomever. But, um, I always get curious about that. I'm like, well, what did you imagine? And then no one really has like a distinct answer. It's just the, it's just uh, someone's always different than what you had. Oh, I, I have a straight up image of what I. Okay, you tell as. me, tell me it what. Sounds so calm, relaxed, just a super chill, like down to earth human being. <laughs> and I imagine that you had really long dreads, <laughs> const constant beanie, big old fuzzy beard. Yeah, <laughs> and just a like a permanent glow smile with like the little red cheeks. <laughs> Almost like a like a white Rasta. Wow, nice. Yeah, well, I, I, I people don't know this, but I did. But then you know, I had to cut the dreads off because of cultural oh, appropriation. No, I'm kidding. That was a dumb joke. Okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a dumb was joke. Like, no, wow. I don't think I could pull off dreads. I think they're cool, but I don't think I could pull them off. <clears throat> but yeah, that's funny. Um, let's get a little bit of background on you before we jump in. You and I are getting getting to know each other in this conversation, which is always super fun. But yeah, tell me a little bit more about your background as a coach. I know that you coached Austin. You've coached several other crushers around his same age in that same category. And it sounds like you took um, a climbing team that was brand new and turned it into this really successful team in a few years. But how did you get into coaching? How long have you been doing it? Give me a, give me a little bit of the background there about your coaching. Totally. So um, it started when I was... Uh, a kid. I started climbing when I was 13 and I instantly fell in love with it. And I asked my parents within the first year to build me a home wall. And I did all of the setting on the home wall myself. I was actually obsessed with root setting just as much as climbing. And I got kicked out of the, the gravity vault where I climbed a couple of times from behind the wall where they kept the holds trying to set set boulders when people, people weren't looking. <laughs> and uh, I was on the youth team there. And I would constantly help friends and spend a lot of time at practice 
trying to teach root setting and the, the thought process behind root setting and how it influences the movement. Uh, I like at age 15, I started uh, because I talked to my mom about it. She loves to dance and we were talking about choreography. And I just understood really quickly that a root setter is a choreographer. They're a designer and a puzzle maker, but really they're a choreographer. Mm. If you want this dance to feel right and be easy, you have to do the steps in order. So I started working with uh, kids on the team. When I was 15, I started doing private lessons and I loved it. I started running an adult class at that gym and that was really successful. And I started working with some adult clients and then I got a job at one of the Gravity Vault locations in Chatham as an assistant coach. And Gravity Vault's a tough place for upward mobility. I think they've just got a lot of going on. Their focus is more so on birthday parties. Uh, it's a very commercial franchise gym. And I knew that I was going to be stuck in that position. So I heard from a friend that there was a gym opening up near me called High Exposure. And it was going to be a parkour ninja warrior climbing gym with climbing being the main focus, having a, a clip and climb fun action adventure area with crazy wacky walls. But then half the gym was just a normal climbing gym. And I saw a golden opportunity. The owners really were, you know, everything was kind of off the cuff. They were just doing everything on a whim. It wasn't very organized and they knew that. And I had a ton of information uh, from working at actually a bunch of gyms uh, at the time and just being obsessed with the thought of opening up my own gym, being the head root setter, being the head coach and doing it all. And I opened this gym for these guys and did everything. So I was the head setter there and the head coach. And with that, I had a ton of freedom to just run wild with everything and make because we didn't actually have a lot of members it was it was really a, a tough design of the space we had the ninja warrior area right in the middle of climbing mm. so anyone who was a serious climber they were kind of turned off because there'd be birthday parties running through on the weekends kids running under you so i didn't have to set too much for members and my focus was i would say a hundred or 90 to 100 percent on setting for the team and then using every single set as a lesson that would teach one element that my, all of my day one kids, the, all the kids I got came in from Ninja Warrior or mm. for parkour or because they just saw the poster at uh, an ice cream place like Adam Shahar. Many people probably know Adam Shahar, uh, absolute beast. But all of these kids I got were day one. They'd never climbed before. So I had these blank slates. And I was a kid in college, had all the time in the world. I was putting in about 80-hour weeks, setting, teaching lessons, uh, coaching the team. Every weekend, uh, Friday night, I'd do a mock competition for the kids. I would run three-hour practices, tell the kids, get there early. I'll work with you early. I would teach them root-setting theory. I would run all of the, the really painful drills because they knew no better. You know, I was. it's funny, I was actually the... Um, I joined a fraternity in college and I was the pledge master. So we, uh, you know, I would initiate the guys. Okay. Okay. I mean, in the fraternity, some, some call it hazing. I didn't haze. <laughs> uh, not too hard. Yeah. I'm no, just kidding. Um, but when I had these kids, you know, it was, 
is kind of an opportunity to, to run the program almost how I would run the, uh, the lineups for the kids in the fraternity, where I would make them do very difficult drills running. Sometimes I'd have them run 50 laps on the same boulder, or I would have them go around the gym and do uh, 20 boulders five times each. Wow. Or I'd have them Damn. do um, laps on routes where they'd have to do in a session maybe uh, five routes five times each. And then they would go into the bouldering area and traverse for like 30 minutes and then do it again. So together, they were all in it. And they had this unbelievable bond together as a team because they were enduring such hard sessions. And I had uh, Austin Hoyt, of course, day one. Adam Shahar, day one. Those two pushed each other and competed against each other every practice and set the example for the whole team. Mm. Of course, at the time, I was competing too and going around winning competitions on the East Coast. It was um, definitely the highlight of my uh, athletic career. I was competing in the World Cups okay. as a climber. I didn't know that. And the national uh, championships uh, every year, all the North American Cup Series. Uh, at the time and every local open finals i was either winning or coming in second so my kids would come out and support adam and austin were inspired we'd bring it back to practices every week all the while i'm doing lessons with almost every kid i'm doing free lessons on saturdays where i take that free lessons free practices where we go to another gym and run on-site rounds for six hours i was getting to the gym early at 6 a.m to set just for the practice a 10 boulder on-site round wow so long story short I was obsessed with coaching and giving back to the kids that, that I once was, because when I was growing up, I had a bunch of different coaches. I had a phenomenal, two, two phenomenal coaches, but some that, you know, they just, um, I saw that they, they really wanted to help the kids that were great and really only devoted their time to those kids. So I, I wanted to do it differently and I knew what worked. It was really hard training that focused on the essentials, teach the kids how to move, teach them how to work hard, and then guide them every minute you can. Be patient and work with every kid individually with private attention. Mm. So I, I kind of got a, uh, ahead of myself there. Just want to <laughs> <No, that, laughs> edit no, whatever you want. No, that was great. That was all great. I just let you kept going because that was all fantastic and you touched on a number of things that i want to expand on in this conversation and I, that's something that um stood out to me from my conversation with austin is that he looking at my notes i asked him uh some questions leading into this conversation but yeah he felt like he said that you put a hundred percent effort into the high exposure team and he felt like it was pretty different from most of the teams that he's seen and what a lot of the teams out there still do. And it sounds like it is. I'm curious, how did you get those ideas? Like, were you just making this stuff up, like making kids do five routes, five routes, five times each, and then traversing and just these, what sound like pretty epic suffer fest sorts of sessions. Were you making that stuff up? Were you pulling those ideas from other sports? How are you coming up with those training ideas? Uh, so I was reading a lot when I started coaching. One, once I got that head coach role, I, I would say I spent probably four to eight weeks where I was reading about three hours a day on how to run a team, how to coach kids, how to teach the fundamentals of climbing 
and how to train. And I, I still have a bunch of those books actually behind me in the stack, but I talk to a bunch of coaches too. I reach always reach out to my old coach, uh, Claudio Vidalescu, who's the head coach of Stone Summit. He gave me some great ideas. Um, took the things that worked from when I was training. Yeah, a lot of it was also trial and error. I did some things that you know you you go do it a couple practices and you realize, all right, you know this isn't this isn't it. The kids aren't. Number one thing is, are the kids psyched on mm. it? If if it's painfully boring, they're not going to do it. And there there are some things that I. You know, like um, exercise-based things where that are just straight up like hang or do um, do lock-off training or any of that stuff that uh, real realistically it, it has its place. But uh, when I was putting too much of an emphasis on that stuff, kids would get demotivated. My, my team tried hard when it was time to work out, but I really only saved that for the last like 10 minutes of practice. Mm. And anything I did... Because they were little kids, I, I'm a wacky coach. I, I feel that humor and game and just play it will will take you all the way. I mean, that's that's why we do this. It's we're playing, right? Like we're going outside and we're climbing up a rock. It's <laughs> there's no rules, right? Yeah, uh, you know that like, or there's nothing that says this is a, a productive thing you're doing. We're just going out to play because we love it. And the kids are just coming into climb. Kids especially, they're coming in and they're getting on things because it's fun. If a kid wants to swing around on a V3 that has some big jumpy moves where they get to do a dyno and catch a jug and then swing and drop down on something. They love that. They love playing games and laughing. So everything I would do, all my ideas really needed to be something that I could pair up well with something that would make them uh, light up and mm. and laugh and smile and even when we did those 50 laps the whole time i'm walking around encouraging them making up ridiculous nicknames for them just left and right making jokes the entire time e even like um sometimes i'd like call people out for doing funny things and just like but in all great spirits ne never ever criticizing the kids in front of each other or any feedback is given privately and in a productive way but just making it as fun as possible how do you strike the balance with something like having your kids do 50 laps on boulders i mean i maybe climbing's just so fun that it that doing that is fun for the kids but some of the drills that you just described, it sounds like a Russian gymnastics coach, you know, like lining up your athletes and being like, next, 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 you know, and just sending them through this kind of suffer fest. Did the kids enjoy that sort of thing? Or did you have to kind of trick them into it being fun by adding humor, by by doing some of the goofiness and kind of adding these other layers to it? How did you strike the balance there? The only reason anyone's going to give effort to something is if they believe in it. So if with all my kids, with everything, all my clients, if I'm going to have you do something, I need you to understand that first off, I know why we're doing this and you know why we're doing this. So every single drill has an explanation, little, a little um, me get in front of the group and explain what we're doing. All right, guys, we're going to do 50 laps on a boulder today. Why are we doing this? Because muscle memory is important for executing moves without having to pause and think. We're gonna create perfect patterns of movement. When you step on a boulder in, in an on-site round, or even just getting outside, 
I want you guys to be able to not have to think and do every move perfectly because your body has done it so many times. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to pay off. You're going to be so much better for it. You're going to have 10 times more fun in the future for having put in this hard work for only about 30 minutes to an hour. That's all we need a couple times and you guys are going to be champions. I want you all to think about that. And if anyone falls behind, if anyone's having a hard time, I want you, their teammate, to walk over and encourage them and tell them they can do it and remind them why we're doing this. Mm. Did you, what, what were your kind of weekly practice structures like? Did you have fun, goofy, playful days as well? Or was it, was it just a lineup of drills, each one having their own explanation? Okay, so almost every session would follow hard work and then reward. Nice. Every, like almost every session would be, all right, guys, we're doing four, but we're going to do a circuit. We're doing, uh, you get 15 minutes on four different projects, one in this zone, that zone, that zone, that zone to lock in all different terrain today. Okay. Then we're going to do a four by four. If during projecting, you guys all as a group send 10 projects, let's say there's 15 kids, we need to get 10 projects. And then in four by fours, everyone gives full effort. And that's determined by me and coach Jerry. We're going to play capture the flag for the last 15 minutes of practice. <laughs> nice. I, Steven, you've never seen kids work so hard. You've never seen kids try harder on project moves. Wow. And they know capture the flags at the end of it, dude. And we, Pais capture the flag games were unbelievable. Epic. Oh yeah, in a, in a parkour ninja warrior gym, I can't imagine. Yep. That sounds so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah, and if yeah. you got Austin Hoyt on your team, it was auto win. <laughs> He's, that kid is a better track athlete and just like trail runner than a, he's a deer. The kid's a deer. That's so funny. He's better at that than he is at climbing. Wow, love it. I wonder. Yeah, there's. I wonder what the hybrid. You know, like what would what would Austin Hoyt be uniquely qualified to do? Some like crazy alpine bouldering link up where he has to like run through the mountains between hard boulder problems and send them quickly or something like that. He can, oh yeah, he can or he's invent his own. Oh, totally. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay, um, man, you've touched on so much good stuff already. This is awesome. What's the equivalent for adults? You coach a lot of adults one on one these days. Do you think about things in the hard work reward sort of paradigm for adults as well? And and what does that look like when you're talking to adults who probably aren't going to go play capture the flag after the end of their <laughs> hard work session? Um, yeah, not as much. I don't because, you know, the adults, they have much more intention and they have more specific goals and a firmer understanding of, uh, you know, hard work is kind of a necessary part of improvement where kids, they have to be convinced. I don't really need too many rewards for the adults. I still have the humor. I, I'm, I mean, a rapport with your athlete, a healthy rapport and friendship, honestly. And like, a, we're partners in this is paramount to me. Um, I think that the, the explanation of why I'm having you do this and what you're getting out of this is a, a huge motivator for my adult clients. Uh, if, if they know that what you're doing is specifically geared towards their goals, it's really refreshing, honestly. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, so many times you, 
I have these clients that they go on the internet and they try these drills. That's it's kind of like a broader approach to what is a very specific need that they have. Uh, just as an example, I was working with a client this past week who was struggling with slab, and she told me that you know I, I just I climb way lower grades on slab, and I said okay let's let's get on this this pretty simple slab climb that forces you to lean over your feet and trust your feet. And she stepped on the wrong part of the volume uh, so that her she didn't have the ideal angle into the wall. And she had her butt sticking out. Her hips were far away from the wall. So I said, okay, listen, here's what's happening. And here, if you want to feel more comfortable on slab and feel like you have more facile command of your footwork and your body positioning on slab, which is you and I both know the most important part, um, you need to do the hard work. And you need to go back to the fundamentals. So here's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it this many times. You're going to include it in your warm-up from now on if you want to actually make the improvements over time. And it's not going to be fun. Uh, it's not as fun as just doing slab problems. But if you do do this every time you come in and occasionally devote 15 minutes just to the fundamentals, you're going to move up through the slab rankings and you'll have much more fun in the long term. So kind of giving them that the end goal, what's required, what's truly required to get there. Mm. Not just, you know, they do a drill once or twice. You, you need to be honest with adults and they need to hear it. Yeah. That you're going to need to include this in your warm up. You need to give this 15 minutes per week. And then if there's somebody that I work with on a regular basis, accountability. That's nobody is going to, other than your most devoted disciplined athlete, no one's going to actually include that into 15 minutes every week. Mm. You know, I, I have trouble doing that to myself. So sure. You need yeah, yeah. a partner or somebody that you respect that, that you know truly cares for your betterment in sport that's going to be there to remind you. Yeah, that's great. It's it's interesting. You called it refreshing, and it just made me immediately think of our school system, you know, specifically in the United States. I'm, you know, I'm just thinking back and I'm like, man, it probably, it probably wasn't until I was in my final two years of college doing like upper division engineering courses that I truly understood why we were doing the things that we were doing and how they would benefit me in my life. You know what I mean? Like all our entire school system, you're just kind of told, do this, learn this, memorize this, you know, it'll be on the test. And um, we're kind of trained to not think about things or not ask the questions of why, like, why are we, what, what is this going to, how is this going to serve me moving forward? And so um, I think we, I think we do crave that as adults and it makes sense too. Like you don't need, really need the reward because if you're an adult athlete, who's reaching out to you for coaching, you already know what the reward is. Like you want you're, you're coming to a coach for a reason. You want to send your project. You want to level up. You want to get better at slab, whatever it is. So that's kind of the, the reward in and of itself. So, yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious. Yeah, um, did you have a thought? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, I, you just, you saying that about the school system, I, I honestly don't remember any time my teacher ever really took the time to explain to the class, this is why we're doing this progression over the years of mathematics. Right. Because... I just, I mean, like that's probably that. And honestly, most sciences, when you think about it, the real life application for most what, people, like 80, yeah, most people, 
is not there. Yeah, I mean, simple math. Totally. Like, I'm I'm an engineer. I was I worked in aerospace for six years, and uh, I mean, did I ever use anything more advanced than algebra in my actual work? You know, I don't think I ever did. And I took like multivariable calculus in college, and for what? You know, I I don't. Yeah, and and uh, I didn't have very much buy-in because it was just like, what the hell are we doing here? So yeah, that that sounds really refreshing. I'm curious about that example with the slab climbing client. What what's an example? Like what drill did you have her do for those 15 minutes? What are what would it look like to go back to the fundamentals um and work on a drill that's not just trying slab problems in the gym? What does that look like? Uh an easy one, the you know, the simplest thing with slab, especially indoors, uh because I do so much training with clients indoors. I'm just going to use an indoor example. You can certainly do this outside, but it's just so easy for me to do it with an inside uh, example is I had her uh, pick a volume that was pretty sloped. Uh, I, I don't know what the exact angle is, but if you were to stand up onto it, uh, you'd certainly fall backwards if you didn't pull your hips all the way in to the wall in front of it and drop your heel. Uh, I've got some slab videos on my YouTube that explain this exact uh, concept and show the tricks. It's paradigm climbing uh, on YouTube. And for her, I had her put her foot on the very corner, the furthest part away from the wall. So that if you think about that, when you have your foot on the furthest part of, uh, away from the wall, you have the best angle from your foot to the wall. So you're actually making the slab steeper angle of slab less Mm. vertical so you get better lean in now you're not going to get knocked out by your movements you have much freer uh range of motion i had her drop her heel because dropping your heel is creating more surface area with your shoe touching the volume uh friction is what we depend on to stay on footholds uh, and especially volumes and friction is going to be surface area times force so i had her now understand that concept by stepping onto the volume on that outer edge, okay? Establish a balanced position by stacking your hips and your upper body directly over the foot that's standing on the volume. Now let's go and place the other foot on the volume, but we're not going to lift that heel up immediately, the one that's currently got all the weight. We're going to place that heel uh, down on the other foot, push with your foot into that uh foot that isn't weighted and then shift your weight into it no weights in it uh, at first she shifts all her weight into it while she's keeping the back heel down so that that foot as the toe comes up and still has weight in it it doesn't skid due to less friction so i have her shift back and forth walking up and down the volume for just a a set of six Mm. maybe six repetitions three in each leg come off the wall and then we did some other one uh, drills where she would place a foot on the next hold and then work with her trajectory so that as she did the dead point up to the next hold, she connected with her hips closer, closest to the wall mm. by during the counter movement, coming as far back as she can without falling off the wall and then quickly standing up into the next foot. Cool. Yeah. Just, th- small example. Yeah. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. I, I think that makes, I think that all makes sense, but I'll be sure to find your, uh, your video on YouTube and link to that for people that want to get the visual. Totally. 
so yeah, a couple other things that you touched on from your coaching philosophy. Let's see. Um, the 50, the 50 repeats example, something you had talked about, um, you know, you and I have been emailing back and forth. You said repeating until moves are learned and become automatic. I think that's, I mean, it makes so much sense. And it's something that, um, you know, as a coach with a, with a team of kids, you have control over. I want to hear how you think about that with adults and what your recommendations or philosophy is around repeating moves until they become automatic, because it's, it's something that, um, is really easy to lose sight of. I think, you know, like most people that, um, most adults that climb and are self-coached, maybe we get repetition through trying projects over and over and we get repetition through climbing lots of volume and doing lots of different climbs. But I think it's a rare person that does the same climb that they can do over and over and over again, trying to perfect it like that perfect repeats thing. And just speaking for myself, I had, um, I've talked about this a lot, but I had a couple winters where I had a home wall back in bend and had a really simple training routine for a couple winters. And it was always a mix of trying to warm up through like V8 and do a lot of the climbs that I had set on my wall and had done many, many times. But today I'm going to climb them perfectly, you know, just doing the same ones every session as like the final stages of my warm up and then trying like a project for an hour or two. And that combination uh, really seemed to work some magic. It was really fascinating to do that and then go on a trip and just feel like I was moving really well and and just feeling really confident on the wall. But yeah, repeating moves. I I guess this is a pretty general question, but tell me a little bit more about your philosophy when it comes to repeating movements um, that, that are like well within a climber's ability. Yeah. Um, I guess the easiest time, well, just to start off, my, my thoughts on it are it's we're, we're in a skill sport. If you're not devoting as much focus to your actual fundamental skills as you are to strength building, then you're really missing the point and you're, you're limiting yourself. Uh, you, you can keep making strength gains, but the people that are getting better at the fastest rate are, let's be honest, people that climb outdoors and do a wide variety of different movements and yeah projecting is the way that most people get this it's projecting is great if they're not too hard you have um moves what are uh, called in the learning zone so the learning zone is something that we can do uh with high focus and that are not too out of range so that the demands placed on us don't match up with our skill set so you do have to have uh, an appropriate matchup there so doing uh, laps on something that's very easy, it might not be as beneficial as doing something uh, that's a little bit challenging, that without perfect focus, you could fall or, or it will feel much harder. Gives you much, also much better feedback, direct feedback and noticeable feedback. So you, what you were saying with, uh, was that you do your, your warm-ups and were you saying you, you do the same warm-ups every time? And then yeah, you so- would do your... Yeah, I would have like maybe two two limit bouldering sessions on my home wall per week and I would do like the same 15 minute finger warm up every time. I would do the same easy boulders up to like maybe V5, but then every session I would pick maybe two or three or four boulders progressing from like V6 to V8 
And maybe there were different times each session, but there, you know, I only had like maybe 10 of those on my wall. So I was doing the same ones kind of over and over, over the course of the, the two month training block and just trying to climb them a little better, a little better, trying to like dial them in so I could do them first try. Um, just perfecting this like, you know, small, but, but varied, somewhat varied lineup of boulder problems that I'd set for myself in that kind of second tier range. And so, yeah, every, every training day that would be maybe doing like a V6, a V7, a V8 would be like the final stages of my warm up, And then I would project a, a V10 for like an hour and then maybe try a different V10 for like an hour or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I don't know where you, how you came up with that, but that's, that's basically it. You know, the, the warm up is, it's so underutilized by so many people, you know, you, you have this set time where you've allotted this, let's say between for some people, 15 to upwards of an hour time to doing a standardized regiment of different exercises and movement patterns. So if you're constantly succumbing to your, your need for novelty and for, uh, less structure in what really is a very structured period, it's the only time where you really need, uh, almost like a, a boring structure in the, in to, the warm up. in the warm up, mm. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be boring. You can obviously, there are, there are loopholes to this to make it more fun, but it, it should be a time. And I do this with all my clients where you have intention behind all of your movement based warming up. So if you get on a boulder ladder, uh, of course, I'm not going to make clients over a nine week or whatever week cycle I have them doing, do the same boulders over and over and over again they go nuts. And I, I honestly think that adherence would plummet. Mm. So instead I do have them do different boulders and adherence. Let's be honest, when we're training, it's, it's number one. If you're not sticking to the same thing consistently, your, your body's not going to adapt. So I have an intention and a, a format or a, uh, a different skill that needs to be the focus, depending obviously on what the climbers weaknesses are or what their goals are more importantly. Uh, just an example, like if you're warming up the, you're doing your boulder ladder, you need to pick all of the holds that are facing to the right or the left for your feet. And you need to toe in and utilize ankle mobility and ankle strength and foot compression to pull yourself up to the side and maintain during periods where your hands coming away from that foothold and into the other side of your body to work on tension and foot intelligence. That way, this this client under is every single time training their ankles to do the harder movements on poor feet or less desirable feet when they're the only option. Mm. So if that client's doing that twice a week for their warm up through the upward boulder ladder, you know everything else a constant. They're getting the same warm up, but there's a, it's a much much higher value than just doing you know, the boulder ladder, because they, that boulder looks fun. That one looks good. That one looks easy. That one's not going to eat my skin. Of course, avoid the ones that look like they're going to be a bad time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Unless they're going to deliver a good stimulus to you. But, um, yeah, I think that the warm up is the best time for adult clients and people that want to put this into their plan and not feel like they're taking away from the things that they really, really enjoy doing and other low-hanging fruit that's going to move them up uh, very quickly. Yeah. Or as I like to call them, lemons that you can squeeze. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we should talk more about that. 
I know uh, another thing that, that you and I have talked about is being very specific to each one of your clients, doing custom training plans for all of your clients. Um, and I think it'd be interesting to tie this back into your youth coaching and having all these day one athletes. I'm assuming that in that context, you probably have your kids doing a lot of the same things because they all need the fundamentals. How do you think about that? How do you think about writing custom training plans for each individual athlete that you work with? Do you have staples? Do you have go-tos? Do you have like fundamental things that pretty much everybody needs to work on? Or is it completely different based on the athlete and their goals? Um, and, and how do you think about developing that custom plan for each client? So with every client, we get on the phone and we talk about what their goals are. Uh, we go through a whole list. It's their current training, their training history, their injury and medical history, uh, their capabilities of training, uh, what their strengths, what their weaknesses are, what their specific goal routes are and goal boulder problems. And maybe sometimes people want to just increase certain strength metrics or benchmarks, and that's fine too. But uh, I, I don't do, I don't use a, a template really. I mean, I do write my plans. They, they kind of look similar and just the, the visual, like it's, it's a Google doc, but every plan is completely different and everyone's exercises are completely different. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm alive one time, you know, <laughs> everyone's alive one time. If I'm going to give you a cookie cutter program, where's the fulfillment for me? If I can't go to sleep at night, knowing that I gave the best possible plan and put a hundred percent effort to making it completely customized, that that's when, you know, you have a, an excellent experience with someone else and you get that feedback of that, dude, this is really working. And then you get to march down the road with them. That That's when it gets more and more and more rewarding. That's how I'm still working with Adam Shahar after all these years, because he sees it. He's been, we've been walking down that road, follows the training consistently because it's designed around his goals. So, um, I have different things at work. Totally. Like you were saying, there are many components that will be in different people's training plans because let's be honest, I, I get probably 50% of my clients are telling me, Hey man, I've got this outdoor bouldering project. I really want to do V six. Either one of those are very common. Mm. And we say, okay, what's a smarter version of that goal? I want to do, what do you think? Okay. Let, I want to do five V sixes by March 1st. Okay, awesome. How many fives have we done? Okay, cool. Where's your, what's the weakness? What do you feel like when you do get on these sixes? What's holding you back? Okay, it's finger strength and movement. Clearly it's movement. They're only at V6. Therefore, they've only been exposed to so many moves. Uh, okay, so this program's going to focus on movement. How's your mobility? Uh, it's okay. Okay, let's do some mobility. Let's find all the lemons that we can squeeze when your fingers are tired, where's another lemon we can squeeze? And we're going to squeeze those lemons. You've probably squeezed a lemon before, right? The first squeeze, you get a ton of juice. <laughs> the next squeeze, you still get a lot of juice. And gradually and gradually, as you squeeze them, you get less and less. So things will remain in, but over time, we're going to swap them out for new stimulus or variations mm. of fresher lemon. That's awesome. That are all other goals, yeah. I love, yeah, I love that analogy. That's... uh that's yeah, that's great. I um, where to go next? I have a list of topics that I want to make sure that we talk about with the time that we have today. You've already touched on root setting, and I think that'd be an interesting place to go next. Is how root setting 
helped you as a competitor and how it's informed your own climbing. And then maybe um, I think we should talk about how the average adult out there can use root setting practices or understanding of root setting to inform their own training and their own climbing. Because, you know, you talked about how you had this amazing and pretty unique setup of having ultimate freedom. You were a, a, head, a head root setter, you were the head coach, and you had a climbing gym where you didn't have to meet a high you know, amount of demands for the general public in your root setting. You were able to set a lot for your team. Most people don't have that, you know, but most people probably have some form of a board that they can train on at the gym, a spray wall, or maybe they can make up boulder problems. So yeah, I think tying that into the average person and what they can do to to kind of get some of that benefit would be interesting. But yeah, let's back up a few steps. How has root setting helped you in your own climbing, whether that's competition climbing, outdoor climbing, training, whatever? Okay, biggest question when you're a climber or a root setter is why. Why did they put that hold there in that spot facing that direction? But even bigger, why did they choose that hold? They have, all root setters have thousands of holds behind the wall. They picked that one because that one serves a very specific function. It's a one-handed hold, okay? It's a very small edge, and it's dual text. Why is it dual text? Why didn't they pick one that has regular texture or a thumb catch on, on the side? Because they don't want you stepping on it. Okay, interesting. Why is it a one-hand edge? Because they don't want you matching on it. Why is it over there, and why is there no foot to the right? Oh, they want you to only use that left toe out left. Or, ooh, is it a pogo? Because we're, okay. Now, why is that next hold a jug? Oh, okay, I don't have to do it static. I can go big. If you ask why to every hold and every location of the holds, the answers just show up in front of you. Mm -hmm. And what I'm setting, that's all I'm doing is, okay, I want them to do this. How? How am I going to force them to do this? Well, I get, if I give them a two-hand hold there, they're just going to match and then reach to that the next hold. So I need to make it a crimp. Okay, but I don't want them stepping on it. Ooh, I can use a dual text. Ooh, I can use make it a slot. I can put a blocker there. Sure, there are some times where you have to get very technical, and they did that, but they still want you to put the foot on there just in a different way. And of course, having higher skill sets will allow you to avoid the, the forced movements, but that will account for about 99% of the answers. Mm. Does that... Especially in competition. That's, you have to think like that right out of the gates. Totally. Why? You have four minutes. That should be the boom. I turn around, okay, why, 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 where, mm. where, where, where? Mm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense, especially in competition. Does that sort of thinking apply to outdoor climbing? Do you think about outdoor climbing the same way? Because it's interesting, oh, yeah. like you have, you know, in, in the example that you gave, you have a root setter who has all these holes to choose from. They're making specific decisions about what they put on the wall. Nature's not doing that. So how how does that apply to approaching an outdoor climb, an outdoor project, things like that? So I think if you can, I mean, you usually will get, if you're climbing at the same gym, you're going to get a spread of, let's be honest, like the same hundred moves, right? Like, Root setters only have, they're, they're working with a human brain and they don't have endless variation installed in that brain. So they're going to set the same patterns. So you, 
when you go outside, the human bodies still move the same. You're still working with the same human body. And if, especially on established boulders, if a human body has made it up this, it's utilizing certain movements that have probably been learned in the gym or have been learned on other boulders and ones that work with the human body. So you can use, of course, chalk to understand where people have gone, which moves make sense. I think you do have a lot less of a, a formula of why. Why does probably become, and in my experience, has become less of a, okay, here's the answer, boom, validated, that's 100% it. You know, it's more so, okay, I've got this side pole, I've got this other side pole, I've got a foot way out left, and there's no down pushing foot to the right, but there's a huge right hand throw. Is there anywhere where there's like, somebody's done this move. Do I switch feet and pop? Do I, is there, oh, there's a big edge just below my right hand facing right. There's a good heel hook. Is there a shoe rubber on that? Oh, sick. Okay. People are probably utilizing this. Mm. All right. There's, there's an answer that could work. Whereas like obvious inside, it's obvious, you know, they chose to put that hold on the wall. So there's an answer that they want you to do that. Outside though, there are answers, but I'd say the, the potential of it being the obvious definite way or definitely go down. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Based off the, the lack of intention behind the location of the hold or direction it's facing. There's, there is no intention. Right, Unless right. it's man-made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. 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 Manufactured shots. No, uh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. That resonates with my experience. You're like using the same method of searching for clues, but there's less of that finality, less of that, like, oh, this is the way because outdoors more often than not, you have many ways that you could do it, but you're looking for clues in that same way that you would inside. Yeah, I think that's cool. Um, do you have your clients, like let's say one-on-one -on -one coaching, an adult client who's like, you know, I want to climb V6. I want to climb six V6s by March 1st, whatever it is. Um, I most, mostly have access to a gym. Do you have clients make up boulders or practice route setting in any sort of way? Is that a consistent part of your coaching practice at all? I... Do provide clients with a three-step visualization process that teaches them how to read boulders. I, you know, I don't really get into the root setting aspect of it with clients. I absolutely should start including that. It's, you know, it's it's tough because it really is something that requires a lot of time and a deeper level of understanding. I do have people make up boulders for themselves. I provide instructions, uh, just examples. I have different versions. I have like 10 different versions of projects uh, that people have to make up for themselves. Just quick ones are like getting span projects, power projects, uh, compression projects, footwork projects, uh, weakness projects. All of these things are, you're not gonna find it on the wall. And if, if you do, it's, it's very rare, or you're probably not getting the most ideal version of what this stimulus could be. So, and I do help clients through it. So I guess I'm doing it to a small part, but I would feel, I would have to devote a lot of time to each person individually to teach them everything behind root setting theory and how they should be thinking. 
it's a, it's a very nuanced process. It's something that, you know, over years I work with my, my youth team athletes on. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting question. I'm going to, I'm going to really give that some thought. I love that, Stephen. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm just, I'm really curious from your perspective, what's the value of making up climbs in the gym or making up projects for yourself versus just doing what the setters have, have offered you in the gym? Uh, who's, who's probably the, you know, you, you get, have you ever looked at a puzzle book? Sure. Uh, who, who do you think knows all the solutions to all those puzzles and a lot of puzzles? Knows puzzles really well and mm. can solve them really fast. The, the person, the, puzzle who, maker. the person who wrote the book, sure, yeah. Should let you answer that. Uh, <laughs> no, it's good. Yeah. So the more puzzles you create, if you can get inside the mind of the puzzle maker, mm. that's cool, you know man. the answers before they really even fully appear. Yeah. You can kind of guess the next step, and you see the patterns. Like, oh, you, you know, I wish I could put uh, a tarp over the wall for my kids, and then uncover the boulder going up. And go, all right, where and what type of hole do you think the next one is? And I'd love to hear their answers because I know some of my kids are going to be like, oh, it's definitely an undercling above you. That's why that volume's down there. Oh, sick. Or, <laughs> oh, never mind. All right, why were you wrong? <laughs> Patterns. Patterns. And they appear outdoors a lot more than you think, dude. Patterns appear outdoors more than you think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, come on, like with directional holds, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you got a, something facing left. You you need something pulling you back right or pushing you back right. Yeah. Where is it going to be? You got to find it. Mm -hmm. So using the tools that would quickly and efficiently find the best option to answer that demand, of course mm -hmm. it helps. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think, I think for me, it feels like it helps even more outside and there's way more possibilities, you know, like in, in, inside I've, I'm the type of climber. I've always like found gym climbing really hard and I'm not, I've never been someone who just like goes and crushes in the gym. And I think the biggest reason why I generally climb harder outside than indoors is because I have a very like puzzle puzzle maker sort of mind, you know, like I really enjoy that part of bouldering and, and sport climbing. And, um, I can almost always find, a way to make an outdoor rock climb fit a little bit better into my strengths and into my style. Whereas indoors, more often than not, you kind of get what you get and you just kind of have to deal with it and adapt more to the boulder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that doing first ascents, I know you've done a lot of first ascents and development. Is that, does that feel like becoming the puzzle maker? Does that fit into? Sometimes. I Sometimes. think you become the puzzle maker more when you, when you like, come up with cheesy eliminates. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I feel like no matter what, when you're outside, you're always the person reading the puzzle book, no matter what. And I mean, like, even if you're just the guy reading the puzzle book, the more puzzle books you, you read and do, the, the faster you get at solving them. Sure. Yeah. So I, if you're in the same area, <laughs> rocks forming generally the same, like a lot of my FAs are in only a handful of areas. So you, once you get the feel for the boulder, the process becomes faster and you become more confident. You use better strategy techniques of actually just like opening a boulder. Yeah, but, but absolutely. I think uh, setting will help in, in all aspects this, and, and FAs. Well, I love the puzzle, the puzzle book analogy. You've got some really good analogies. 
Um, analogies are so powerful. It's they yeah, are. It's great. Huge fan. We can Steven, certainly. Can I, quickly, uh, can I quickly run to the restroom? Yes, of course. Yep. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Rocky Talkie. I love these things. I never thought I'd go back to using radios in the year 2023, but these things are awesome. Here's the deal. We all have phones, but sometimes phones aren't very helpful. Let's say you're climbing a multi-pitch or you're backcountry skiing or sitting on a chairlift and you don't want to drop your phone in the snow or you're mountain biking and it's a pain to stop and get your phone out or you just don't have service. Phones are not always the best option. The best way to communicate in the backcountry is with Rocky Talkies. I've actually been using these for bouldering. I often record interviews in the morning and I go climbing in the afternoon and I wanna meet up with my friends and the Rocky Talkies have been awesome when I don't have cell reception. The max range on these things is 25 miles and they typically work up to one to five miles in the mountains and backcountry terrain. I haven't tested the range on these things, but so far they've always worked with zero issues, even in rocky areas like Waco. I've never had a problem. So check them out. Get 10% off your first pair of Rocky Talkies by going to rockytalkie.com slash nugget. That's rockytalkie.com slash nugget for 10% off your first order of backcountry radios. This episode is brought to you by Rumple. Rumple is on a mission to introduce the world to better blankets. And I think they've done that. My Rumple blanket is literally one of my favorite things I own. It's so cozy. It's like having the coziness of a puffy sleeping bag with you wherever you go. Rumple's original puffy blanket is made of the same materials as your favorite outdoor gear. It pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a durable water repellent finish. So it's water resistant, stain resistant, and odor resistant. This thing's amazing. It'll be your new favorite blanket, whatever the circumstances, even if you just use it at the house. It's the best. Also, Rumple has branched out and makes a ton of other amazing products. The Nanoloft travel blanket is the size of a Nalgene when packed down and can travel with you literally anywhere. And the Nanoloft flame blanket, that's the one I have, has a fire-resistant top layer, so you can sit next to a campfire with your puffy blanket and not have to worry about burn holes. Amazing. I also have the Everywhere Mat. This thing is a perfect little porch for my van. It's also perfect for a picnic or for hanging out at the crag. And the Everywhere Towel is super handy as well. This thing takes up no room at all. It's a full-size towel. It's so convenient for travel. It dries super quickly. And if you're like me and live in a van, it's a total must-have. I actually got rid of my regular towel because this thing was better. I just love Rumple. Everything they make is amazing. Go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off your first order when you go to rumple.com slash nugget and use code nugget at checkout. And now back to the show. David, I'm back. And I just thought of something phenomenal. <laughs> well, we got to hear it. So while we're on the topic of the puzzle maker, uh, an invaluable tool I use for my team and one that has worked really well with I remembered clients that I had last year was 
I have my kids in order to better understand uh, root setting. I will have a time during practice. It's a drill we do where the kids are given an assignment, a movement type that using the holds on the wall, they have to force by putting certain holds on their climb and not using others. And they can make any rules, like the volumes are on, the volumes are off. Or sometimes I will say all volumes on, and they have to use that information to force a movement. And then I have their friends or a partner do the boulder and try to break it. And some kids are really good. And some kids, they'll set boulders, and on their first go, it's just totally skippable. You don't have to do a hand-heel hook match, which is a great one to start. And then the next time, they get a little bit better. And the next time, a little better. And before you know it, the fourth boulder they've made, no one can cheat it. Mm. This is a great drill. You've got a fun group of friends that are down to do this with you. Next time your listeners are going in the gym, try it out. If you do it regularly, super fun, unbelievably rewarding, and high value. That's awesome. What are some other examples of assignments? You mentioned hand heel, yeah, hand heel match. What are some other ones? Uh, uh, drop knees, okay. a really good one. Um, a dyno is like probably the easiest one that we do. That's a really fun one to start. And then I usually follow that with heel, uh, drop knee, a forced back flag is a really nice, tough one. I only give to some of the kids. Um, I mean, you can just really pick any move. I've done forced crosses. That one's really cool because with the kids, they almost always will try to match and mm. bump their other hand instead of cross. Um, yeah, you could you could pick a ton. Nice. Have fun with it. I like that drill. I'm gonna go try that at the gym soon. Um, where to go next? So I have I have some more notes about your coaching, and if we if we missed anything, um, we can always come back to that. I think we've talked about a lot of good stuff. Something I wanted to make sure that we talked about today, you mentioned um, <clears throat> related to coaching, you said as a coach, you must constantly learn and develop yourself as an athlete, just like your athletes, which I, I really like. And I know that you're a very good climber yourself. And one of the things that I was most excited to talk to you about is the path to V13. So I think that's uh, that's a path that we are both on. We're on parallel paths there. And uh, I just loved in your email, you're like, we're both going to climb V13. It's inevitable. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is happening. It's, it's going to happen. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to happen. I feel really excited because I feel like for the first time in some years, I've had some setbacks and things. And for the first time in some years, I can actually believe that. I'm like, yes, this is this is going to happen. It's just a matter of time and, and uh, consistency. But yeah, so trying to climb V13, maybe give me a little bit more background around your current climbing and where you're at now, but I want to hear what the path to V13 looks like for you. And then I've got some more follow-on questions with that. Absolutely. Okay, so from here, going forward, you want to know? Or from when it's been a thing? Um, sure, from when it's been a thing. Let's talk about where your climbing was at, when this became a goal, and where you're at now. Yeah. Okay, so when I was really young, I always said when I, just as like a joke, when when I climb V12, I'm just going to quit climbing. Like, 
but at the time i was climbing like v4 i was like dude if i ever climb v12 like <laughs> do, do you um, remember um, why I, i'm always fascinated by this sort of stuff because i had a similar thing too but it was a different number and i just i just think it's so interesting like was it a specific person or was it you know chris sharma doing some random v12 in a video or what was it why was v12 the number for you do you remember uh the, the strongest person that i had ever met climbed v11 and that was like the hardest <laughs> i'd ever met in person there it and is yeah I, <laughs> yeah, at the Gunts, the hardest boulder there at the time that I knew of was a V12. And just looking at it, it was just like, <laughs> yeah, dude, sick. Like, that doesn't go. Good one. Whoever says that goes. And I was like, if I ever climb something that hard, like, I'm, I'm out. I'm just going to, like, mic drop and dip. Uh, but I did it. Uh, like, very quickly after doing V11, uh, I, I was just on a really good path of training at the time. And I was like, you know what, dude, uh, V13, that's the, the hardest thing in our area. I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to uh, train for comps and try to do V13 at the same time while head setting, setting uh, five days a week, Oof. setting a that Yeah. And setting every day, being the only setter at the gym. And I upped my training a little bit, just a bit, uh, was doing the same volume setting for the kids and I got hurt. When was this? This was six years ago. Okay. And this is why I was in the, like, I just luckily just uh, competed in the World Cups uh, in Myringen and uh, in Vail and had great results, came back, was amped, and then boom, like almost immediately blew my elbow oh. and motivation dropped a little bit, but I've never lost the psych ever, not for a second in my life. So I was like, <laughs> all good i'm just gonna get my fingers bulletproof and i did and then i was stupid and hurt my lumbrical in my uh in my right hand where my uh, ring finger is took me out for a bit so that kind of uh, the overtraining with um you know doing a normal amount of training but doing so much setting and supplemental training was just killing my body i then i messed up my leg my shoulder I've been battling injuries for a while. I mean, if you're following me on Instagram, you you probably know that I just fixed my legs after coming back from my honeymoon and ha literally feeling like uh, an 80-year-old man in my legs. And then uh, really strangely hurt my pinky on uh, on the hangboard. Hmm. So I've been I've been doing amazing rehab in my opinion following it perfectly with the help of dr climber mike on instagram he's a miracle worker and i've been feeling amazing in all my other fingers every other area of my body i've been changing up my training to fit the uh the specific 13 that i want and i can feel myself honing in on it but uh it's been a goal for a while and there has definitely been ample opportunity for me to put in the honest work on rock, but I use my job and my commitment to coaching almost as an excuse to not go get on the rock. Mm. I also have a tough time rationalizing with myself and putting days in on projects outside when my skin, I have very poor skin. It's very moist and it, it just tears up. You can ask Austin. He calls me the worst skin he's ever seen because it really is. So unless I have anti-hydral tips, I have no chance on anything remotely sharp. So it's been it's been almost a, a, a constant battle against the fear of 
over committing myself and coming up short and convincing myself that I'm actually ready, even when I feel like there's a large component that will inevitably collapse underneath me, being my skin, and then set me back in training. But, mm. you know, I've been doing a lot of work on the mental game. I've been putting in much, many more sessions on actual 13s outside. Got one in this weekend uh, coming up. I did one this earlier this week. And I'm feeling close and motivation is really high. You know, I'm a little heavier right now, but um, yeah, but you, you, you know, you're, you're in the same boat as me. Uh, heavier is in many cases that, you know, uh, we could get into why, but it's stronger yeah. because we're fueling our body. So I'm fueling training much better than I have in the past. And I'm feeling unbelievably optimistic. That's awesome to hear, man. Yeah. And for just to tag on to that last comment while I'm, while I'm thinking about it, I just put out a, or by the time this will come out, I will have just put out a follow-up with Emil Abrahamson and that guy, man, I mean, you know, I, I'm someone who, as, as you all know, I've talked about this a lot, but, um, I always thought I had to be really light to climb hard. Now I weigh, I'm five foot 10, a little under that. I weigh 170. And Emil is a big guy. He went from 168 pounds to 183 or something and then climbed V15. What yeah. is that dude? Crazy. He gained 15 pounds in like a few months and then and then climbed his hardest boulder and was just smashing it on you know, it's not like he like fluked this one boulder. He was just like crushing all around. So oh, yeah. it definitely works, man. If if you um if you're the type of climber who tends to have muscle and you've been fighting your body type thinking that you need to be light and lean and skinny man just just do the just try it out just do the experiment of seeing what happens if you let your body just kind of sit at its natural weight and just focus on eating food to to fuel your training rather than trying to be light it's yeah i'm really excited it's definitely working for me better than anything else ever has like i feel like i'm doing the same training um i haven't really you know, I was training really smart when I was in my 20s and I was always frustrated and I feel like the missing thing was that I just wasn't fueling my training appropriately. I was always kind of hamstringing myself, so. Yeah, yeah. and your recovery is garbage. You're tired all the time. Yeah. You're, it's such a momentum killer, which is the number, that and adherence are the, and they go hand in hand. They're the number one thing when you're trying to improve in anything, momentum compounding growth mm. and when you have you know you go hard you have a great day on the rock right and you're light and you didn't eat that much that day and then you want to stay light so you don't eat much and your recovery is trash the next session isn't that great so you modify it and you don't do the ideal form of training the next session you're still tired it's not as great and you where where's your momentum are you just hoping that you're going to get a full energy day when you're fully recovered or are you locking it in Mm. it's not always about crushing and feeling light every day it's getting getting stronger is what's going to get you stronger totally yeah totally so where are you at now i mean have you um i you know I, I follow you on instagram now and i've seen some of your videos it seems like you're out there are you are you focusing on building more momentum towards the v13 do you feel like you already have like a huge base of you know of other double double digit boulders and it's time to just focus in on the hard ones how are you thinking about yeah, I, I guess reaching the next level at this point. Okay, so the approach I'm taking right now is I, I'm, you know, I've got this pinky injury. I just rehabbed my legs. Uh, while I was rehabbing my legs, I was 
virtually completely in quote unquote off season training, even though many would consider this the in season for, for outdoor bouldering. So I was, I'm, have just been focusing on building finger strength and really locking in on uh, row power, like pulling into the wall, something I've never really uh, focused in on. Uh, I probably have really not to like give myself praise. It's through constant uh, work. My lock off strength and my pull strength is insane for, for like the grade I climb. I, I don't need to get any stronger at pulling up. So I've been dialing in and focusing in on just like straight up, exercises that are going to, the, the, you know, the most effective ways to target what I need to get better at, uh, which is finger strength. I've got these massive hands and whenever I grab crimps outside, I, it's just very difficult for me. I, I know compared to smaller hands. Yeah. I think uh, you so, said that you have like hands that are proportional to someone who's six foot six and you're like five ten. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny. I, I was putting my hand up next to a guy who's six, six at the climbing gym, literally six, six. And his, our hands are the same size, but his palms way bigger. So my fingers, my fingers are crazy long. Mm. Next to my head, if anyone, can, yeah. <laughs> I've been able to palm a basketball since I was in seventh grade. Wow. It's weird. <laughs> my dad is really nice. Um, yeah. Does that make you want to like find us like a sloper squeeze compression V13 out there or? Yeah. It does, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd probably be great at and, that. Yeah, there's um there's a climb called Full Size Man down in Farley that I really want to go do. Uh, reason I haven't is because my legs were, just, I, there was no way I could do any heel hooks. My tendonitis in the back of my legs was oh wow, okay. a, like ten out of ten pain, complete weakness. But now after the rehab with Doctor Mike, heel hooking is now like the strongest thing I have. It's insane, dude. My tension is on another level. It's so cool. I'm so appreciative. Um, but yeah, I'm doing. Mostly in the gym training. I'm getting ready for a Rocklands trip in July, which... Oh, no way. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, like, I... I'll I be there. Be more You're going to be there. I'll, I'll be there. I'll see you there. My guy, we should meet up. Yeah, well, let's do it. <laughs> Got a mega crew. When are you going to be there? July and August. Yeah, July and August. Dude, no way. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're, we're rallying. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> you got a place to stay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm staying, uh, I'm staying with Ethan Pringle in a house that he rented. And, uh, yeah, I, it's interesting. Are you, are you going to try a V13 you think on the trip? Cause I've been thinking a lot about what my goal should be. And I think, um, I'm at a place. So for the last couple of years, and I, I don't mean to derail our conversation here, but I, yeah. I think it, it'd be fun to talk about like your, how you're thinking about reaching V13 and maybe talk about how I'm thinking about V13 and just bounce ideas back and forth. Um, but for the last couple of years, I've been bouncing back and forth between sport climbing and bouldering. And I feel like I lost a lot of momentum last year after a really good year in 2021. And I just really want to solidify double digits for myself. Like I, I'm the, I don't know, like I've seen the base come up for myself a lot in the last couple of years. And I feel like very, very comfortable climbing V8s and 9s in a very wide variety of style quickly. And I want V10 to just feel less intimidating. I want to change the narrative that I have around V10 and um, and and harder things. For some reason, V10 feels like this, like if I can make myself feel more confident at V10, then V12 seems reasonable to try. I don't know why that makes sense, but it's like jumping up into the double digits and feeling more established there. So I think my goal for Rocklands is to see how many V10s I can do because I feel like that'll be challenging enough that I that'll kind of stretch me into that learning zone like you were talking about earlier. 
um, but not so hard that I'm just going to beat my head against the same climb for the whole trip. But yeah, how are you thinking about that? Do you have specific projects picked out for Rocklands? Are you going to try a V13 or just see how you feel when you get there? Well, I mean, anytime I do a trip to a new place, I, I want to go after the the gems. You know, I want to get on the the classics that have inspired me over the years, the ones that look awesome. You know, when you think Rocklands, your head goes to the, the videos of the boulders you've seen where you're like, that is it, dude. I'm picturing the hatchling right now. I'm like, that thing looks so fucking crazy. Like, uh, how does that boulder crazy. exist? It's so insane. I know. I'm going to have to sit in front of that thing and just stare at it for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to do... When I go on trips, I usually can do um, like 11s and 12s, like a couple in a in a day, and that that's fun. But whenever I go and get on a 13 on a trip, I I quickly realize this is going to take a couple of days. I'm going to have to get this perfect, and I'm not. I've never gone on a trip uh, in the same area as long as I'm going in Rocklands. I'm taking a three and a half week trip to Rocklands because there are several V13s that I really want to devote time to. Mm. And there is a plethora of boulders out there of different styles and grades that I need to get to and do. I want it to be, I don't, you know, you, you never know when the next time you're going to be back is. I'm planning on having, a, a, like starting a family with my wife soon and I don't know when I can get back there and take that much time. So I want this one to be uh, well strategized where I have days where I do accomplish the, the things that I have fun on and can do quickly and have always inspired me like the 11s and 12s. And of course, every dino that exists there, I'm a dino <laughs> maniac. So I'm going to be all over them and then put days into, uh, that are devoted to just working like the couple 13s that I really want, like Moisty Maisie and the vice and El Corazon. Mm. Although that might've been downgraded to 12. I don't, I don't care. Oh yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Plenty of really strong people have taken V thirteen, so I'll sign your, I'll sign your scorecard on that one, Charlie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, limbs, even, never even seen it in person. Yeah, yeah. that and King of Limbs. I'm, I'm prepping my shoulders. For those two. Yeah, I really want that. It's a fourteen, but yeah, I'm very. I've always been good at that style, and sometimes it's not even about like sending the boulder for me. I I really just want to rip on it. And, yeah. Like, see where i'm at like oh okay this thing that's looked impossible i'm i'm kind of there yeah all right that was fun that like that that's a novel move i never really would have ever tried that's sick i learned yeah. from that that's great that's actually something i've i've kind of changed my mind about recently is like there is a ton of value in getting things that getting on things that seem absurdly out of reach at the time you know just plant the seed just yeah. like check it out and see i used to stray away from that because i'm like well what's the point you know i should save my skin and energy for these things that i can actually do i can always come back stronger but i think just like the low commitment just like sampling the moves just seeing what it feels like and seeing you know i think you learn a lot from that you learn like where you're at in relation to that next level and what it might, what it might take conceptually to get to that next level and you know when you get on something that's that hard it, it's it really shines a spotlight on like where you're at in relation to it i guess and like the work that you would potentially need to put in so yeah I think right. that's cool i mean dude i was in um like your the work you need to put in like you were just saying like i have always thought the really hard boulders would take years but when i went to veraze and i got on joya you know b16 world's first 16 that crimp line by christian core Dude, within an hour, I did every move except for the razor blade crimp move. 
things like 10 moves long. Wow. Like I thought that is like the anti style of me. The cramps are way bigger than I thought. The feet are bigger than I thought. It's just really hard to link any of them together. I uh, didn't link any more than two moves together. Yeah. Uh, but it was like, it honestly was a massive mental game changer for the rest of my trip. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Let's talk more about what specific things you are working on right now. And what, like, what do you feel like you need to improve to climb V13? You've already talked about you have big hands, so crimps are difficult for you. You talked about rehabbing your legs and now heel hooks are more of a superpower. You talked about your mm -hmm. mental game a little bit. What specific things do you feel like you need to improve to climb V13? Um, my finger strength a little bit and that's it. Okay. But yeah, my willingness to get on them, the, the, the time. All right. Nothing, nothing at your upper limit just falls in a session, no matter how prepared you are, un unless you're dummy prepared. And that's, guess what? That's not your limit. Right. So I just, I need to get my fingers a little bit stronger. It, I think that would help a lot with my willingness to get on the boulders and put in the time right now with how little time I actually have to do that. Mm. So, you know, I mean, like motivation is always directly tied to your uh, consciousness of preparedness. Mm. So if you understand that you're prepared, you're going to be much more motivated to go do something than if you it's, you know it's way beyond you and it's going to take a lot of time. But yeah, I think I'm I'm there. I just need to put in the time. It sounds like it. Yeah, if you're putting down V11s and 12s in a session or two um, on these trips, it, it sounds like you're definitely within striking reach, striking distance. I definitely have a little further to go, I think. Um, I'm in Waco tanks. It's, it's probably funny. Like, I think for people listening, it, it probably seems like I'm flying all around the country all the time because the timeline of these episodes, they don't always come out sequentially. So we're talking in mid-February now for, for context. But yeah, um, I feel like I'm back to a place. I've, I'm just coming off of a bicep tendon injury back in December. And I feel like I'm back at a place where I can put down V10s in a couple sessions most of the time, depending on the style and depending on the boulder. There's some really hard ones here that uh, that are kind of nemesis rigs for me. But yeah, I, um, I feel like I want to spend the spring and maybe even my summer in Rocklands really trying to solidify V10, maybe do some V11s if I'm feeling good and have that momentum. And then I'm planning to come back to Rocky Mountain after that. I have the, of course, the uh, the the great privilege of being on the road and having a lot of flexibility. So I'm planning to come back to Estes Park and kind of take all that Rocklands momentum, hopefully, and really try V12 and maybe even... Actually, I have one picked out. I won't be um, secretive about it, but I, I did Veritas Sit in 2021. And uh, there's a low... That. What's that? I've been on that. That thing's hard, dude. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it suited me really well. I'm really good at like the shouldery, open the elevator door sort of thing, you know? Yeah. And so there's a low left start that's a 12. And I think that one suits me really well. I've I've done all the moves, but just need to go back and kind of refresh it and try to link it. And then I think bear toss would be a really good one to be trying while I'm working on low left because it's, for people listening, that's the V13 version. And it's just, I don't know why, like a lot of my hardest climbs have been like link ups, whether it's sport climbing or bouldering, like whenever you can kind of like tack on like a low start or tack on like a harder exit or 
take pieces that you are already have in place and build on them. I always, I always do really well with that sort of thing, that kind of systematic approach to like chipping away at a harder boulder or, or route. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I'm thinking about trying to climb V12 and V13. I haven't climbed V12 yet, so I've got that big step to make hopefully this year, but yeah. I, I think that's a very smart approach also to breaking into a new grade. You, you check the boxes. You're, you're literally checking off different uh, items on a checklist. Right. On the top. You're, you're basically going in with the most confidence you can into something that's quite the unknown, you know? Totally. I like that approach. Yeah, it fits, it fits how my brain works, too. It, just, it also feels really nice to feel like, like, for example, if I'm trying bear toss and working on low left at the same time, if I get frustrated trying to do low left, I know it's like serving me towards this larger goal. So it kind of keeps yeah. the the projecting process in perspective. I find that really helpful. It takes some pressure off. Totally. So. That, that's that's actually what I'm doing too right now. I, what does that look like track. for you? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting out one day of the week now that the the legs are good to get back on my local project. That's, that's really what I'm doing right now in terms of uh, trying to move towards a goal while I strengthen, also put in days in a, a local project it's like 25 minutes from my house it's a 13 sadly it's not very much my style it's super steep on crimps but i'm i'm getting closer every session and i am getting out there regularly which is great and i, I feel i feel like maybe in the next couple of weeks it'll go that's awesome so, that's awesome and what's be, what's it called is this one that called warlord warlord okay it's at Lorimer park in pennsylvania nice yeah it's a really cool roof in the like in the middle of this little uh random park. It's like not big. It's just one roof and it's got like dude, it's got like 15 double digit variations on it. Oh Two wow. V14. It's crazy. Okay, so that's what you meant by yeah, you're doing the same thing kind of putting the pieces well, three together. 3V14s. I just realized that. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's so random. That's cool. <laughs> um this is this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but this is another comment that I got from uh, from Austin before this conversation, and he he talked about this in our episode. He said that watching you in comps is really crazy, and that you just don't let go. Like more than anyone else he can think of, he's like that guy just doesn't let go. Like you'll be shaking like a leaf on the wall, like your whole body's like vibrating, and you just refuse to let go. Tell me, tell me about that. Is that <laughs> I don't I don't know like. What what do you say? It's my superpower. Okay, tell me more about that. Yeah, I'll just leave it open. Uh, so, when I was really young, my mom always used to inspire, like, try to inspire me by telling me about her favorite uh, notable person in history, and that was Winston Churchill. And it's like I get chills every time I say the quote: "Never, ever, ever give up." That was a famous quote by Winston Churchill. And when I started climbing, I just took it to the wall. And, you know, you see so many people get to the last move, they're gas, they go for the finish and they half-heartedly go for it. Or they let go one move before because they're, they know they're not going to get the top, right? It's not that they don't know that they're not going to get the top. It's that the, the neural pathways that activate in their brain, that they've trained in their mind to tell them, you can do this, you can do this, is so weak and quiet because they don't practice it. Mm. But every time you get on the wall in training, if in your head you have screaming, 
You're going to do this. You can do this. Do it. Do it. Do it. Try. Come on. Guess what? Every time you hit limit, that's going to push you to absolute limit. I can't tell you, Stephen, how many times I've taught boulders where I, like, I don't think I could have held on the wall for another millisecond if that last hole wasn't a jug. But so many of my competitors, stronger than me, would give up. So the only way to win is out-try them. Hmm. And also, when you can out-try and people see that you're doing that, they roar behind you. Hmm. And the kids get inspired 10,000 times at the rate. And that roar only makes that voice inside of you louder and feel more confident. And, you know, when you're outside on the rock, sometimes that's the only thing separating you from the move on that day. You're not going to get stronger. If anything, go to go. You're just getting weaker. So you just got to try harder. And if you don't <laughs> practice that in the gym, in the comps, every time you step on the wall, you're not going to have it. That day is going to be unproductive at the end. Well, unsuccessful, quote unquote. How old are you, Charlie? 29. 29. Do you feel like that reckless abandon do you feel like you have to be more thoughtful about when you use that sort of reckless abandon and try hard as far as like hearing you say that i'm like i i think i do that sometimes it probably sometimes i'm worried that it's just not gonna be worth the risk you know um, whether that's injury whether that's like a really bad skin injury that's gonna end my day or something like that um, has it changed for you at all o over the course of your 20s? Yes. Uh, it's certainly situational. There are, you really have to know going into it, the risk versus reward. Like if you're, if you're doing this on a, you know, like two and a half pad edge and you're cranking and that third finger is like awkwardly sitting on the hold, obviously, you know, there's a lower threshold for, for that push. And that's, that's where the other side of the brain that understands the risk reward knows where the line is for certain moves. So there's certainly a balance, but it, and you always, you should always uh, have that fully calculated before you step on the wall. Otherwise there's uncertainty. And with uncertainty, you can never reach that maximum limit. Mm. So if you can, um, you know, kind of like verify the boulder as being something that's going to be uh, in terms of injury risk, either void of, or, or completely limited, then yeah, that, that side of the brain can go as loud as it can. And in competitions, 90%, 99% of the time, you know, they don't want to hurt you. And it's something with bigger holds that's all about just power and trying really freaking hard. So it usually works out pretty well. Mm. That's awesome, man. That's great. I want to hear about your honeymoon. It's kind of a funny thing to ask about on a climbing podcast, but it'll make sense, I think, in a second. Yeah, it sounds like you had a pretty memorable honeymoon with some pretty valuable lessons learned. Tell me about that. And congratulations, by the way. When when was this? When did you get married? Uh, this was September. Nice. Uh, we got married on the 6th. And we went away until November 6th. Well, we actually got married on the 4th. And then two days later, we left for two months, a nine-week honeymoon. And uh, yeah, I mean, the only way to describe it was a complete dream just non-stop utopia it was the time of my life it's something that i've wanted to do uh since i was in high school and it was actually my wife and my first argument ever when we were in college and we were like 19 and i was like when we graduate i'm go we're going away for a month to europe i'm going to take you away and she's like 
I have to pass a CPA exam. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I have, I'll have an internship, and I'm not messing that up. And thank God, you know, she said that because we would it would have been so much harder having no money and not understanding travel nearly as well as I do today, and just going in with young dumb. We 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 it would have been terrible. So it worked out. She's made a little bit of money since then. I made a little bit of money since then, and. We were able to really enjoy every single day, eat out, do all the fun experiences, and make the most of it, and climb all the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. You have uh, you sent me a list of bullet points, um, some about this topic and some about the lessons learned. Using your spouse slash partner as an accountability tool. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, you know, when you go out, you're on a trip and uh, you're all the way across the world and you've got these expectations, right? Like I go to, uh, just say I go to Magic Wood. I really want to do Never Ending Story Part Two. It's dream boulder for me. And getting on it and maybe not flashing it, which was something I wanted to do. And uh, maybe getting upset and adopting a negative mindset right out of the gates. And with other strong people in Magic Wood, it's easy for you to start thinking like, oh man, I'm maybe I can't do this. Maybe I'm just not as good as these people that I've seen in videos. Maybe it's too hard. Uh, you start throwing a little bit of a wobbler. Maybe if it goes really poorly, you fall on the same move, make a stupid mistake. But I used my wife as uh, someone to bring me back to check and ask the questions that my I would ask myself in a calm state of mind. But when you're worked up, you can't. So we came up with a very simple system that um, when I would start trying a boulder, the second it would start going anywhere near south, she would ask me, what do you need to do? Because that's all you ever have to think of, right? Everything else is just going to be un, uh, unuseful noise. So when she would say that, so it would bring me right back down. It would be a, a reminder, okay, relax, remember. You can do this. You, you always end up doing it. What do you need to do? Okay, well, you know, my foot's cutting. Okay, what can you do to fix that? I got to keep my leg bent, and I have to keep the forefront of my focus on my hamstring being flexed into that hole. That thing keeps slipping. Okay, what about the top? Or do you like that beta? I, you know, I don't. Actually, let me try the other beta. Both of those things, it was like, 10 minutes later from when she asked me, I smushed the boulder. Mm. And it was like, oh my God, okay, let's do this for the rest of the trip. <laughs> really yeah. just having her there almost was like, I'd look at her while I was would be getting upset and I'd be like, okay, what do I need to do? I would start asking myself. Mm. There were other things like when we'd be out eating a lot of food, not my, I'd be like, oh, let's get the double chocolate cake. Come on. We're only here once. You'd be like, "Are you sure? Do you are you are we climbing tomorrow? How do you, <laughs> is it going to make you feel good? Are you going to be happy tomorrow? What's more important?" I'd be like, "Okay, maybe we'll just grab a small gelato and split it." On the way home. <laughs> okay, and it worked out every single time. Yeah, and the trip was. Yeah, having her there was a complete game changer. Oh my god. And she's really cute, so it was fun. <laughs> it's always always a plus. Is she a climber? No, she's not a climber. She is 
she I mean she'll get on the boulders a little bit. She did like four boulders during the trip that uh that she got excited about, but she is a dream, dude. She will just forever since we started dating. She just comes out and just supports and hangs out and she just loves being in nature. She'll sit there and she's like the most social. She's the most fun person to be around and she's just the nicest. Her laugh makes everyone else laugh and she's one of those people and she's just a great time. So we make friends really easily. She can talk to anyone. I can talk to anyone and she'll, she's fine just sitting out there talking all day to <laughs> all the friends we made. That's so cool. That's yeah, awesome. Never complains ever. It's amazing. I'm so blessed. <laughs> okay. Um, valuing climbing for the experiences rather than for self-worth. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Cause I'm sure that sounds like that was a lesson that you learned or that got solidified on that trip. But that's uh, one of those lessons that uh, I think most of us have to kind of keep relearning in cycles, you know, so easy to lose sight of that one when you're planning the next big trip, like to Rocklands, for instance. But yeah, tell me more about that. Wow. You are very conscious of that. The way you just said that something that you lose focus of, you couldn't be more right. You know, how many times have you come to that realization, but then your ego, I mean, everyone has ego, but just like the ego comes roaring back with like, dude, we suck. And it's, it's just, well, they're yeah. so much better than you. Look at them on Instagram. <laughs> they're smush, They're flashing your prod, bro. Yeah. yeah, I mean, my my reason thing, I, you know, I had this bicep tendon injury, partially tore my bicep tendon in December. And so, you know, there's like a few weeks of like, oh, like this kind of sucks. And then kind of like, oh, this is actually kind of a nice break. And then like, oh my God, it feels so good to climb again. I just love it out here. I just appreciate being out here in the nature and every climb is awesome. And that V2 was so cool. And then like a month later, you're like, God damn it. Why can't I send this project? You know what I mean? It's just fascinating how quickly my brain has has gone and and i think i have like generally more mindfulness of just appreciating being out there but it's so easy to fall back into that that performance that productivity sort of mindset where you just want to send you just want to you know you just want to get on top of the boulder and it's not i'm making it sound maybe more negative than it is cuz i really do love projecting and um i love pushing myself on on things that are hard and i'm not necessarily upset when i don't send but the focus, like the shift, the appreciation for the simple things. When you're feeling healthy and you're trying hard, it's so easy to to let that slip. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, when you're, you know, you're, you're very focused, you're uh, outcome oriented, like almost all of us are, you kind of have to, in order to get to the final frontier of just simply enjoying the experience. It's kind of like meditation. You know, when you start it, you're going to suck at it. You're gonna be like, this is impossible. I there's no way I would ever just go outdoors bouldering. And if I can't send the project, just be happy and be fine and be just as happy as if I sent. It's not gonna happen. Okay. Because it means something to you. Progression and goal achievement mean something to you. So what you have to do is do it quite literally. What were my successes? Where was I successful today? Mm. Number one, every time, look at where I am. I'm in Europe. I'm on the trip of my dreams. I made it. I got to climb all day today. I didn't get hurt. I didn't get hurt. That was amazing. I took so many close call falls, but I'm fine. Mm. I had a really good, fun, those moves were sick. I climbed on the boulder I've always wanted to. And oh my God, guess what? I, I pulled so many of the moves. And like even the crux move, 
damn, you know, that crimp's always looked so small. I got so close. I actually felt better on the, a crimp of that size than I normally do today. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. And then you look back and you're like, why did I have to end the session be so negative and be like, God, I can't do this move. This is suck. I suck. I suck on cramps, making up excuse, excuse. And then later reflect and be like, oh, you know what? That was a great day. Why did I have to put myself through that four hour period of suffering? Mm. I mean, do, do I not have half a brain to the next day go, you know what? Why don't I just focus on the successes that I'm inevitably going to focus on later to make myself feel better and reconcile the day? Why don't I just do that in real time as they happen Yeah, and have a fun day? And when you do that, when you go to the crag, I swear to God, Stephen, there have been so many days where Sam and I, my wife and I talk about it in the beginning. I'm like, I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to be the goofy guy at the crag today. I'm going to try to make people laugh, be a good time, be funny about my attempts. I'm not going to take this seriously. Dude, I usually have the best days of my life outside, most productive when I do that. I'd say 90% of the time. So that's what I do now when I go out. <laughs> it's awesome, Charlie. I love it. Uh, this next bullet point, I think, is uh, maybe the most important nugget of this entire conversation. I think it has the potential to be life-changing for people listening. Learning how to have a good poop in the morning every time. <laughs> Dude, I forgot I, I wrote that. That's, but that's a joke. Hey, that's so cute. That's that a game changer. Yeah, totally. Well, no, it's it's like, obviously, that's tongue-in-cheek, but it's also true. Like, I'm out here in Waco, and, you know, if you're on North Mountain, you can just pop over to the bathroom, whatever. But if you go on a tour in the backcountry with a guide, and you're meeting at 9 in the morning, you better take care of business before you start your climbing day. Because going to the bathroom midday is literally not an option. Like, you just can't do it. You know, you'd probably get arrested or something. Um, that may or may not be true. But yeah, so learning how to have a good poop in the morning every time. Is that something you unlocked on this trip? Yes. <laughs> Please tell me more. Yeah, okay. So uh, I, I always try to experiment with different diets. I've had some stomach issues in the past uh, and food sensitivities, but I came across this diet that, really worked for me. It makes me feel amazing. I'm, I'm not on it now because I'm trying to fuel sessions. And it's just hard for me to get as many carbs in with this type of diet. But um, I was eating just animal protein and fruit on the days before I would climb outside. So I would, during the other days of on my trip, I was of course eating all of the good foods of the countries. I was not cheating myself there. But the day before I would intermittently fast until around 2 or 3 p.m. and drink a ton of water all like the whole time lots of water and then by not having any uh like other grains in there or like refined carbohydrates i really made sure that my uh my body was fully hydrated and everything that i was eating wasn't absorbing my water and kind of clogging me up so with all of the fruit i was sticking to apples and mangoes uh really great for just vitamin C, getting good, good nutrition, and uh, really good for constipation. They're high fiber. So with the animal protein, uh, you really don't need that much because the sources I was having were very high protein. So I was meeting my protein demands to, to recover from the previous day and getting in my carbs to recover from the previous day. But everything was easily digestible, especially from my body. I digest animal protein. I'm a, uh, I'm a no positive blood type. So 
it's just my stomach just eats it up, churns it out. And then the day of, I would wake up, have two large glasses of water. Um, immediately in between the glass of water, I was having hot coffee. And then I would the night before make cold brew coffee in the morning. And I'd have that cold brew coffee. So usually what would happen, and, and in between the coffees, I'd have my breakfast, which would help push everything out. <laughs> so I would wake up, the coffee helps flush everything out, but there's always gonna be more in there. So I would have the breakfast and then the cold brew, which would push everything out. Now what you have to be conscious of though is the coffee is a diuretic. So I was having, uh, after that, before I get to the crag, I'd usually leave about two hours before warm up, three before climbing hard in between that uh, that large breakfast, which was always a, a big sandwich, uh, egg sandwich. Mm. And uh, I would have a big water bottle with electrolyte mix in it. We were using um, liquid IV. So I'd get all the electrolytes that the uh, coffee flushed out and getting my hydration back. And the hydration mix before you climb without diuretics in your system is a complete game changer. Mm. You're never going to cramp up. You're never going to pull a muscle if you, you do that for about two hours before. Uh, unless you're a maniac. I, I don't know how you could. I, I feel like I never could. Um, but yeah, every day. Sorry, you never. A, you felt like you never could what? What was the last? Uh, like cramp up or get a, a muscle tweak when I had the hydration mix. My, oh, my gotcha. muscles and, and like everything just felt so full of water. And yeah, yeah. It's like at, at high function. And there's so many. You can look up the science of, um, you know, sodium chloride, and the different, you know, salts and minerals that you get from electrolytes mixes like liquid IV and how it helps muscle function. But yeah, that's uh, that's my poop recipe. <laughs> Every day. Go out there empty. Light. That's amazing. That's so much more of, that's such a more elaborate routine than I was expecting. I thought you just had like a tip to do first thing in the morning or something, but... Uh, Wake up and just squeeze as hard as I can after <laughs> going upside down for like two minutes. I wish it yeah, was that simple. Get out of bed and just start bouncing. I just start bouncing up and down while I'm drinking my coffee. Uh, no, that's... that out on my lemon water. That's really, <laughs> that's really interesting. And I, I, uh, I know I've you know, we've talked about eating disorders a lot on this show. So if this is a triggering subject for you, then maybe just skip this part. But, uh, but, uh, I experiment with diet too. And, um, the latest thing I've always been trying to figure out, or I've always struggled to figure out my own food sensitivities. I think I have something going on. And, um, right now I'm following like a paleo autoimmune protocol. And it's just interesting to hear you describe the meat and fruit thing. Cause it's, like weirdly similar to what I'm doing right now. I'm like mostly eating animal protein, a variety of fruit, and then maybe a couple other simple things like coconut yogurt, honey, um, avocados and things like that. But, um, yeah, like I, I think I'm the same. I don't know what my, what, what my blood type is, but I definitely feel really good when I eat meat and I digest it really simply. Like I've never, some people tell me that like if they eat meat, they, uh, they feel like it sits in their stomach and feels heavy to them. And um, now that I eat it more consistently, I don't know if it's like a stomach acid adaptation or what happens, but I just feel like I process it really quickly and really efficiently. So yeah, funny to hear you say that because I'm doing a really similar thing right now and feeling great, feeling great. The one challenging thing, kind of like you said, it is a little bit hard to get enough calories on the big climbing days. So that's something I've had to be cognizant of. Um, yeah. 
but uh but yeah anyway just kind of a funny parallel there so started eating uh sandwiches when i was at the crag i always used to be like a little snacker like just um popping in like 150 to 250 calories at a time little bits but on the trip i mean you're doing so much moving around climbing all day i was smashing out like baguettes mm-hmm. full baguettes with like always light meat like either chicken turkey or uh i love like some salmon on there that's it oh my god dude my engine was just non-stop all day <laughs> high rev it yeah. was so awesome <laughs> I, yeah if you want to try it out eating just a little bit more and uh sticking to bread that is a simple carb just for that like instant you don't have to go through the bog down like bruh, yeah yeah sit so good nice <laughs> and, uh, yeah so for your bicep ten- tendonitis uh or you, you it's not tendonitis you you'd like popped it yeah yeah it was a it was a partial bicep tendon tear uh this was on december 8th i think i was trying martini right here in waco and uh did the same tried the same hard move too many times in a row i think and had done a different but similar hard move a couple days before for like a whole session so i think it was just too much of the same thing could have been avoided um but yeah it was uh like a grade one plus partial tear so relatively minor could have been a lot worse and uh and recovery's been awesome i think i'm back to like 90 percent. i feel like i'm really close to to kind of full recovery i just have to be really careful on specific moves at this point but i can do most i can try hard on most things i just have to avoid like you know the the exact move that injured it for instance like a extended supinated undercling yeah. kind of like fallen move where i'm close to end range have to be careful with that oh sort of thing. yeah yeah yeah, dude, um, while I've been rehabbing these injuries, a night and day game change that I made as I was trying to get back really quickly, uh, I switched over to a an alkaline diet. So I avoided everything that isn't uh, creates an acidic effect in your body. So I was I, like for two weeks, uh, I was I've got I've laxed a little bit, but I was eating exclusively like vegetables fruits, millet as my grain, and buckwheat. Uh, meats were only uh, eggs if they were hard-boiled or poached, uh, cottage cheese, and chicken breast, and hmm. whey protein. So all of those when you, and, and having lemon water every day. I, dude, I cannot tell you, after three days, all the pain went away everywhere that I was sore. After every session, I'd wake up the next morning. You know when you wake up after like a hard session and you're sore? Dude, nothing. I was able to push the next day so hard. My training has just gone straight up in the last like three weeks. And I have actually felt, now that I started having protein because I didn't buy any more buckwheat for the morning, that after I eat the oatmeal, I do feel achy. Mm. For sure. Yeah, interesting. Alkaline diet. I've never really looked into that, so I'll, I'm I'm curious. I'll yep. I'll dig in a little bit. Amazing for battling inflammation. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I certainly noticed that. Uh, I mean, that's that's kind of been another perk of. Uh, it sounds like I'm eating in a way that's different from that, but um, I'm generally avoiding like grains and processed foods right now while I'm trying to figure out this uh, autoimmune thing and figure out the food sensitivity. And I really do think that has helped with the elbow recovery, like getting a lot of protein, eliminating processed foods, eliminating inflammatory foods. Um, Yeah, it's it's uh, 
I don't know. I mean, it's it's always impossible to say, right? Like, this isn't like a scientifically, um, uh, you know, double-blind study. It's just an N of one, and it's it's hard to say what would have happened if I'd eaten differently. But I all I can say is recovery's gone really well. My PT's really pleasantly surprised with my progress, and I think that diet seems like diet has something to do with that. But yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, dude. I'm sure there's so much literature out there journals that are that have publications that support bits and pieces of your diet right it makes sense i mean like the stuff that we eat is what makes us us and it's what repairs all of our tissues and stuff so if you're putting quality food in the system you're going to get better results presumably that's how i that's how i think about food but um that's undeniable yeah yeah um, what else do we have to talk about? I've I've had I've had you here for almost two hours. This has been amazing, and uh, I feel like we've touched on most of the things on the outline here. But is there anything else that you want to hit on before I let you go? You know, I mean, uh, I could I could literally talk to you all day if you think there's value <laughs> in stuff like getting my CSCS, the ADHD, which you can probably tell from talking to me. <laughs> uh, you know the the Instagram, uh, designing the factory. It's it's up to you. I could talk all day about any any of that stuff if you find it interesting or think it's novel. Okay, well I can certainly have you back on too. We can always do a round two. Um, I'm glad you brought up Instagram. I did want to talk about that. Let's touch on that briefly. And then um, let's wrap this one up and we can always have you back okay. on. But yeah, you uh, you blew up on Instagram somewhat recently. And I spent some time this morning looking through your page and looking at some of your posts and stuff. And it seems like you're just making really cool reels of your kids crushing it in the, in the gym and kind of breaking down drills and things, things like that. But uh, it's relevant for me because Instagram's, you know, one of the few places that I actually put energy into trying to market and grow and and uh, get the podcast in front of more potential listeners. So was it a strategy thing? What do you think has allowed you to gain so much traction and, and interest from people on Instagram? Um, well, you know, it actually, it did start a while ago, about 13 years ago, maybe. I got Instagram when I was in high school, back when you were only allowed to do photos. And really early on, like the first videos I posted of me doing really like like I was saying before I'm I'm my biggest strength in climbing is my upper body strength and how dynamic I am so I posted a lot of dinos and really cool like campus dinos and feats of strength calisthenics which I got into really heavy in college and those videos early on blew up and I got a ton of shares and comments and since then it was just it's just been a steady growth uh, with the exception of like a two-year period that kind of stalled out when I stopped posting regularly, uh, just gaining about like, I want to say 500 followers a month or like something around there. And uh, it's been absolutely crucial for, you know, getting uh, sponsorships and doing uh, networking with different people, uh, getting different clients over the years. For me, it's always been about posting content that is either entertaining or helpful for people. And those are always the things that get the most uh, traction and views. So 
I, I still to this day think a good, I mean, you know, when you look through Instagram, a good dyno or co- coordination move or a sick looking outdoor boulder is always going to make people stop and watch. So if you do, you kind of have to almost like quote unquote sell out a little bit. I've sadly never been able to break that out of my mindset. Um, you do have to sell yourself on Instagram. You, you do have to pitch yourself to the community that I'm someone worth looking at and I'm worth your time. And if, if you don't do that, you are, it's going to be an uphill battle if you're someone that wants sponsors. And I think though, at this point, enough people are playing the game correctly that it should appear less and less as selling out and more and more as promoting yourself and honestly doing the industry a service of putting out high quality content and informing people and inspiration. That's, that's how I always, um, trumped the, oh, sorry to use that word. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> eliminated. We'll bleep out his name. It's yeah, we'll bleep it out. Cool. We won't even get into that. Um, basically conquered the, that mindset of selling out was everything I put out is inspiration. Mm. I'm showing people what's possible if you work as hard as I do, or if you just put in work into one aspect of your climbing. Like I put in a ton of time on dinos back in the day because I loved doing it and I was naturally good. Played all all the sports growing up on many teams. So coordination moves came naturally. So if you put in the work and then post the videos, people love to see it. It makes them want to train harder. And that makes me feel good mm. when people comment, this is awesome. Thanks for the inspiration that only fuels the machine to, to give it even more time and more effort next time. Yeah. I, I like how you think about that. I can really relate to that because I, you know, I don't like the idea of competing for people's attention in a world where our attention spans are getting shorter and, you know, we're as content creators or as consumers on Instagram, we're all kind of creating the product for this company, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't love that, but um, I think about it in a really similar way where I think, you know, if I, and I'll probably do this, like if we create a really cool reel of Charlie doing a dyno and that's what catches someone's attention and then they check out this podcast episode and they learn something that helps their climbing or it just, you know, entertains them for a couple hours, I feel good about that. You know, I feel, I feel good about that and that's kind of the balance that I seek with it. So I think I think of it in a, in a similar way. I think it can be really helpful. I mean, I've definitely drawn a lot of inspiration and stumbled into some cool rabbit holes through Instagram, whether that's like coming across somebody and then getting more interested in them and then buying their book or, you know, what, what, whatever it is, I think it can be a valuable tool, but it's a little bit of a shame that it's, it's such a game that we have to play. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, pros and cons like everything it's been it's been getting played though i mean before instagram it was video it was just mm. i mean yeah i lived i probably have wasted years of my life on dead point magazine climbing.com looking at videos and youtube like they're gone i mean youtube's still here but dpm's gone skate videos i used to skate all the time that's where i got my inspiration if they didn't exist I, I wouldn't have known what's possible. Mm. I wouldn't have learned tricks as quickly. I, I wouldn't have had stuff to talk to my friends about as readily and as with as, as much excitement. I wouldn't have had an idol. Like there, I've met so many people in gyms. I used to have my Instagram tag on my, my uh, Beta Labs jersey. Uh, 
said Charlie 46. I've had so many people come up and be like, are you Charlie 46? <laughs> Dude, I follow you. Bro, I tried your beta on this boulder or I, I did the drill that you posted. Dude, it's helping so much. Thank oh, that's you. awesome. Kid, that's so cool. Like, are you Charlie 46? Oh my God, I follow you, dude. That's so cool. <laughs> like, well, you just made my day. That's my amazing. Life. And my life. <laughs> I love that, man. That's so cool. Charlie, who do you, who inspires you in climbing these days? Who do you look to for, for inspiration? Well, Sharma's the goat. So Sharma. Uh, yeah, you like those dinos. That's great. Yeah, dude. Well, I went to, um, he'll always have a spot in my heart. I went to his camp in Yosemite and got to climb with him for a week when I was like 15. Oh, no way. He, he gave me the award at the end of the camp and called me Dino King. So <laughs> that was, that, that was like the most impactful moment in my entire life. Wow. Um, climbing for sure. That was, that's has always stayed with me. So to me, he's like the ultimate embodiment of enjoy the sport and don't think of the toxic nature of you know, you're not good enough. You got to be better than the next guy. Cause when you look at him, man, he doesn't care. Mm. That dude's just, he's, and he's also the nicest person you'll ever talk to, dude. He's so sweet. He was so nice with all, with all of us and gave us such quality attention. He really it just blew me away. It was like, you know, you always dream about meeting your idol and you're nervous that they're, you're not going to be as nice or as, as just as great of a person as you think. And he was literally better. Oh, that's and so cool. That's great to hear, man. He's my idol for that reason. And he's so goddamn strong <laughs> in everything, dude. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know who's my, my idol for coaching? Tyson Shaney. Nice. Yep. That's, he's my favorite podcast. I've listened to his podcast with you about four times. I've still taken, borrowed, with his permission, many ideas. Dude, I've re I reach out to him regularly. Mm. Oh, like, that's great, man. Monthly uh, with questions. The guy gets back to me with full page responses addressing every bullet point. He cares. <laughs> he was my yeah, coach in Vail. And he made such a difference for me as an athlete that day. And I just, he's what a great coach is. Mm. And he's very, he's very wise. Yes. And I love his yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, he's he's wise. He is uh, he cares, like he said, and he's very generous. He's he's so generous with his time. Um, I've seen that. You know, he's he's been very generous with me as well. And um, I did a follow up with him. Did you ever listen to that one? If not, I'll send it yeah. to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Nice. Cloudy, you too. Cloudy, you has always been there for me. He'll always get on the phone and help me out through uh, through different situations. So definitely got to shout him out. And before I go, Stephen, I need to say something. <laughs> okay. What you got? Austin, you little... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Austin Hoyt, one of, my, uh, one of my groomsmen at my wedding, was on your podcast, and he said that I, when he started talking to me as a coach, he painted such a wicked picture <laughs> of me, man. He was saying I gave them tough love. We talked about it afterwards. He was like, I don't know what tough love is. I, I just panicked, <laughs> and I said... I just said something. I was like, dude, you I just drunk. panicked. That's so funny. It was like, I didn't know what it meant. I thought it meant this. I was like, bro, you dragged me through the mud, man. I come on, dude. I dude. He's one of the best human beings you will ever meet. And I love him. Love Austin. But oh my God, that was like some of the things he was saying. The day on lead, that was true. He threw his shoe at me and I did kick him out of practice that day. 
told me better be there the next time though. Yeah. <laughs> but no, man, I, I put, I've never put more time into a human being than Austin. Yeah. In my, he's, he's my little brother. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we should set the record straight. So Austin had said, for people that haven't heard that, uh, just to add some context, Austin had said that you had a unique style of coaching where you you used a little bit more tough love than maybe um, Austin had experienced before. Apparently, he doesn't know what that means, but... Um, <laughs> You know, he'd be up on a sport climb leading and he'd be scared and you'd be like, I'm, you're, you're going to try this dyno. I'm not going to let you come down until you try this dyno. How does, like, what, what's your version of that? Tell me your version of that story. Well, um, or just of your coaching philosophy with him. Like, do, I mean, yeah. was it tough love? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, at the time, I will be honest. At the time, it was always in their best interest. Always. And I was, I was patient with them, but I would definitely get frustrated when from practice to practice, they wouldn't push past their, the limit they've decided in their head. So at the time, I, I mean, I was 20 years old, man. I was literally 20. So I was still a kid. And I'd have them up there and I'd say, you know what? You're not coming down until you go for the move. And in my head, that was how you do it. That's, guess what? That's what Claudio did to me when I was under him. And it worked, you know, to a degree. I still a tough time taking big falls and going forward above the bolt. But, uh, I, you know, I've come a long way as a coach and I don't do that anymore be because of its lack of success. Uh, we take a much different, more patient, all about what the climber's ready for approach at no mm. matter how long it takes. But, uh, yeah, I would, um, really just earn lead because the kid was pulling like V12 moves in the bouldering area. And then he'd get up on the rope and he's like, V3 was max, mm. like beyond max. And I, it was just like, he'd come down and he would like, he'd apologize. I'd be like, oh, it's okay. I'm not mad. You just, you gotta, when you get up there, look up, focus on your climbing. You are such a great climber. You can do all those moves, no matter what, no matter how pumped you are, you can do that move. So believe, I believe in you. We all know you can do it. Mm. And uh, when it would come time, though, I'd be like, come on, Austin. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Calling him out a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you sounds like you evolved and you have a good um, a good way of thinking about it. And, and, you know, of course, Austin did caveat things by saying that you guys are great friends and that it did ultimately work. He said it was like really incredibly helpful. But um, <laughs> that's so funny. Maybe did drag you through the mud a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, what? worked really well for adam he went on to win uh win that sport nationals that mm. year so it was austin didn't didn't love lead as much as uh adam adam did but yeah it's uh it was always no matter what they were doing together it was, it was easy to just let them go didn't have to push very hard unless he was above the bolt and then i had to push real hard uh-huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, Charlie, man, this has been awesome. I could talk to you all day, like like you said, and uh, it sounds like I'll see you in Rocklands. So good luck on your training and climbing in the meantime. And yeah, let's climb together out there and we can do another one of these after you uh, send a V13. We can talk about it and you can inspire me to to do that eventually myself. But yeah, sure. Th thanks so much for your time, man. This has been great. I really enjoyed it. I think you had a lot of really helpful and good analogies. I think analogies are just so powerful and just, 
um, I don't know, there's always these things right in front of us that when someone like you who's thought about it a lot puts words to something that we've all experienced, it just clicks in this kind of different way. So yeah, really appreciate you doing that for all of us. And for everyone listening, I will link to all things Charlie Schreiber in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. Are you taking clients right now? Do you have anything else you want to plug before I let you go? Oh, I absolutely am taking clients. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been working really hard every day recently, making the plans the best they can be, uh, implementing everything that's working with my teams and clients I work with in person for my virtual clients, of which I work with a ton. Uh, you know, when we work together, I'm, I'm your coach in your phone. Uh, all my clients have 24-7 access to me, free video analysis. Uh, the plans turnaround can be a little timely because I do put usually four to six hours into each program I write. Not, like I said, nothing's a template. But uh, yeah, I've got a bunch of spots open. Any type of climber, any level, uh, no matter where you are, what your training capability is. I work with a lot of people that just have a hangboard. Working with one guy who's just climbing outside for all of his training and it's going really well. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity there. It's, it's something I'm really trying to take to the next level, getting my website up. Okay. I was going to ask about that. Is Instagram the best way to reach you? And, uh, do you already have a, yeah. When when do you think your website will be live? This, this will probably come out in like six weeks or so. So, well, I've got to buy the domain name from somebody that owns it. Uh, My, my name is paradigm climbing. And uh, somebody owns ParadigmClimbing.com. And uh, I just had to put in a pretty sizable offer for the mm. website domain. So once I get that, I'm going right to work on it. Nice. All uh, right. Yeah. Well. Tr- at, at Charlie46 on Instagram is the best way to reach me. Okay. Can DM. All right. I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes. Thanks again, Charlie. And uh, I'll see you in Rocklands. Thanks, Stephen. I'll see you then, man. This was awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. My pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Best of luck with everyone out there on their project. (laughs) And you, sir. 13's coming soon. Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one. We're done. Hey, friends, before you go, quick shout out to all of our sponsors for this episode. As always, you can find links to all of our sponsors and you can see the coupon codes for their products in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com or just by scrolling down right there in your podcast app. I make it really easy for you guys to get great deals on some of my favorite products. So check them out. Scroll down right there in your podcast app or check out the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. And as always, I put tons of goodies in the show notes. So for this episode, you can find links to all the things, videos and books we talked about, related podcast episodes, my guests' links, etc. You can find all of that stuff conveniently linked for you at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just find this episode and all of the show notes will be there, including timestamps so you can scroll around and find some of the best nuggets from this interview if you want to listen to those sections again. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want even more great content, if you've been loving the show, I do have a Patreon. I have tons of bonus episodes over there, almost 50 bonus episodes. They're called follow-ups that I've published so far with past guests from the show. Those bonus episodes are some of my favorite interviews that I've done on the podcast. You can get access to all of those and ad-free episodes and more for $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash thenuggetclimbing to learn more. There's a link for Patreon right there in your podcast app 
as well. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all of the support. Happy climbing. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. It's awesome that you've never for a second lost the stoke. I like, I mostly feel that way, but there's been like one chapter where I had a hard time remembering where it just kind of dipped for a little bit. And I was like wondering if it would come back, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah. that, that'll be weird. Like I'd kind of, this was like 2019 maybe, and I was injured and I was kind of like going through eating disorder recovery. And I just remember thinking like, man, am I gonna, am I still in love with climbing? Like, am I still going to have the fire? Is the fire going to come back? I felt the fire go away. And I was just like, who am I, who am I without that? I don't really know that, that like, that'll be interesting if that doesn't come back because I'm going to have to find a new thing, you know? <laughs> Redefine myself as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's scary. Yeah. I'm sure like the hormonal imbalance from the, the disordered eating was definitely making it hard to actually like fully grasp what was going on in your in your heart for sure yeah it's there's like a weird uh there was a weird apathy that kind of settled over a lot of things at that time because i just i think i just didn't have as much energy for for anything you know it's like hard to yeah. see hard to see through to the other side of that but totally. you know i i actually <clears throat> did lose it for one day man one day was, uh, yeah no like pretty bad I, I told my parents i was quitting climbing i went to the flew all the way out felt pretty prepared for the um the Myringen World Cup opener of the season I was going to debut on the scene as a, a climber and I got dead fucking last 115 out of 115 mm. and I got one zone and my roommate roommate at the time was Sean Rabatou and Daniel Woods and Giuliano and the Omets brothers and I'm coming back 115 got last these dudes are going to think I'm dog shit dude Giuliano and Sean if they weren't there, I would have been, I probably would have quit climbing because they were like, oh, bro, dude. Julian, I was like, dude, bro, my first World Cup, nothing. Not, I sucked, bro. You probably did better than me, bro. I swear to God, bro. And Sean was like, dude, we just got a drink. And we had like <laughs> the best night ever partying. <laughs> Went out and climbed on some boulders. They breathed, dude, I was more motivated than I'd ever been. They were like, dude, no, you are strong, bro. Like, that boulder you got zone on, that shit was hard. I didn't get zone uh, first go. It's like, oh, <laughs> you guys. Oh, that's you're like the best climbers in the world. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but I was, yeah, I, was, I told them I was done. Done. So, it happens. Yeah. You just got to make sure you got the right people around you to bring you back. I think that's always the most important thing. <laughs>